Let's, uh, let's get going on. We've been working through chapter 12, and, and today I'm excited because we get to take a whole nother big old section of Scripture, and we're going to kind of work through it. We're going to read a little, chat a little, chat a little, read a little, kind of what we're doing. We're going to end up at, at a place which, um, I don't know, I kind of like because it, it challenges me, and so you know, I might as well pass on the savings to you all. And so in chapter 12 is the story of Mary, and she anoints the feet of Jesus with you know, the expensive perfume, and this kind of raises some eyebrows amongst uh, Jesus' followers, uh, one in particular. And so we're going to start there. We're going to start in John 12, verse 4. We're going to read, we're going to chat, we're going to read, we're going to chat. Oop. There we go. John 12. I want to stand on this side now since I'm an equal opportunity offender. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objective. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As a keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put in it. I'm going to pray. We're going to get going. God, I want to thank you for your word. I want to thank you that you caused it to be written. I want to thank you that you've just unfolded this amazing story from, from creation, and we even know how it's going to end, God. And, and I just... I just I'm always amazed that you just continue to reveal your heart and who you are through your word. So God, I pray that you continue to speak to us wherever we are this morning. And may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. So check this out. This is the only place in the four gospels where Judas, he's talked poorly of. They, they actually point out that he has some character flaws. He is a thief. Now, he has no real interest in the poor. His interest is in money. And we get the impression of Judas that, that he, has, he, he sees this opportunity to get some money, a source of money is dried up. And we know that now because it says that eventually he will betray, we know that he will betray Jesus, that eventually he's going to look for another opportunity to get money. And so, so as you think about this, things, things are coming to a head for Jesus. Things are coming to a climax here. He is, he's going to be on his way to Jerusalem for the Passover feast. And now one of his closest disciples, one of the 12, is becoming, is becoming disillusioned. He's, having, he's starting to have questions. I mean, I mean, think about it. Jesus continues to challenge people. He's challenging his disciples. He's challenging the, disciple, or the apostles. He's growing his church smaller. Remember that time he had all these people following him. And he gives this teaching about eating his flesh and drinking his blood. And people, people just leave. And Judas must be going, that's no way to run a church. That's no way to run a business. And he, he knows that he's in, he's in conflict with the leaders. And they want to kill him. There's been death threats against Jesus. The leaders are talking about killing him. Judas knows this. And he's like, you know what? This whole proposition just doesn't seem to be a very lucrative business venture anymore. And eventually, he will bail. But he's going to make one more transaction before he does. He's got one more chance to earn a little cash. And that's when he's going to betray Jesus for a bag of silver. It would seem that the word of God has fallen not on good soil in Judas' life. I mean, he traveled with Jesus, man. He was like there for three years with him. The ups and the downs and the amazingness and, and the hardness of, of just living with Jesus. And the word of God is just kind of not taking root in him. 
and his true colors were going to come out. And they're starting to come out here. You're wasting this perfume for. That could be sold for a year's worth of wages. That's a lot of money. Verse 12, I'm sorry, verse 7. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You always, you will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there and came, not only because of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to kill Lazarus as well, for on account of him, Many of the Jews were going over to Jesus and putting their faith in him. Jesus is going to stick up for Mary. He says, wait a minute. She is doing exactly, exactly what God has called her to do. You just, you leave her alone. This is part of God's plan. And you know what? You are always going to have the poor with you. Don't you worry about that. And, and isn't that true? Over 2,000 years later, the poor, is, they are still with us. The majority of the world is poor. Remember this. If you earn in 2010, if you will earn $10,000 this year, and that's it, and that's all you earn is $10,000 in 2010, you are in the top 13% of the richest people in the world. The poor will always be with us. But Jesus says, you know what? The, the time of devotion for devotion to me that, that, that time is wearing out. That time is winding down. I am not going to be here. It's much, much shorter than you think. And we see in this text, too, that, that all this is this happening, and there's people coming to see Jesus, and they're also coming to see Lazarus. And now the leaders, the, leader, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, they want to kill Lazarus. They want him dead because because of him, these people are going, man, Jesus, Jesus has got something going on here. You have to understand, too, that the Sadducees, part of the religious leaders, they did not believe that the resurrection would take place. They didn't believe in the resurrection of the dead. Yeah, they just look really stupid now with Lazarus rising from the dead. And so now, more death threats on Jesus' life. And now on his friend, Lazarus. I have to get a mirror in the back that just, boop, there we go. The next day, the great, uh, the great crowd had come for the festival, heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, as it is written, do not be afraid, daughter Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. At first, his disciples didn't understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that these things had to be done to him. Now, the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to spread the word. Many people, because they had heard that he had performed this, this sign, went out to meet him. So the Pharisees said to one another, see, this is getting us nowhere. The whole world has gone after him. Jesus is on his way. He is entering into Jerusalem. This is the last leg of his journey. And people are beginning to come out and see him. And they're, and they're, and they're all excited about seeing him. It says there's, there's a large crowd that's already in Jerusalem. And you have to think, well, they're there for the Passover. We understand that they're there for the Passover. But the Passover isn't for a couple days. If you do the math, Jesus went to Bethany six days before the Passover, which probably gets him to where he is now about four days before the Passover. So what's going on? Why is there such a large crowd so early before the festivities? 
Well, in Exodus 12, it says that on the 10th day of the month, of the first month, now, now the Passover is on the 14th day, but on the 10th day, that's the day that you, that's the day of lamb selection. That's the day that you as a family, you would go to where they sell lambs, and depending on the size of your family, depending on if you were sharing the lamb with another family, you'd have to pick out your lamb on that day for the Passover, a lamb to, a lamb to be slaughtered, to be killed. And so you, you, would, you would go with your family, you would look on the 10th day, and then you would care for this lamb for about you know, a couple days. You shouldn't name it because you're going to kill it anyway. But anyway, so, so you would care for this lamb, and then on Passover you would kill the lamb and eat the meal. Jesus, some scholars believe, is coming into Jerusalem on Lamb Selection Day. The Lamb of God who would take away the sins of the world. You see what John is trying to tell us, that this is the true Lamb. And this is a very festive day in the Jewish calendar, a very festive day in the tradition. I mean, people are excited. For us, it would be like, It'd be, it, it's like if you were to go buy your Christmas tree, you know, and you have this, you have a, a tradition where you get together and you go out to that special tree farm where you always get your tree and you go as a family and you walk around and you got to look for the right tree, the perfect tree, the Douglas fir, the white spruce or whatever, the blue spruce, whatever tree you want, you know, and you got to make sure it's not too tall and it's not too fat. And, you know, you got to make, there's no, there's no holes or blind spots or ugly spots in it. And, and so, I mean, that's, that's, that's what it's like for them. This is a very joyous time for them, except for them. It has much deeper spiritual and national significance. And Jesus, right, he's, he's getting close, right? And um, he, he's, he's, he's coming up and it would seem that one scholar writes that, that, that Jesus, you know, I gotta, I gotta go back and look at something here. Okay. And Jesus is getting close and he's going to ride upon a donkey. I mean, for years, Jesus has walked everywhere. One scholar would write that this is the first time that Jesus will have ever ridden on anything. Now, that's pure speculation on his part. But here, here he comes. He's coming from Bethany, from the wilderness, which fulfills Isaiah 40, the prophecy. And then he will ride on a colt, ride on a donkey. Now, I always thought, and, and I just learned this this week, that this whole donkey thing, it's kind of like a low-budget transportation, right? I mean, he's... Riding on a, a, a donkey. I mean, that's not so special. But in this culture, believe it or not, the donkey was, was made, that was, that was like the Mercedes Benz. That was the Cadillac of transportation back then. It wasn't quite the limousine, but, but it, was at least, it was at least a Mercedes Benz. If you had a donkey that you could ride on, you, you had some means. You had, you had some money. In Matthew's account of Jesus coming into Jerusalem, right, he tells the boys, he says, listen, go into town. You'll find a, a, a donkey tied up. You take the donkey, and if anybody asks you, just say the Lord needs it. What Jesus is asking them to do is, listen, guys, I need you to go into town, jack me a Mercedes, and bring it back. I mean, I mean that, that, that's what he's saying, right? And so, but, but Jesus is doing this to fulfill Zechariah 9, where it says that your king, don't worry, your king will ride in on a donkey's colt. And the people... The people are all pumped up. The people are really happy. This is a joyous occasion. Here is this, this Jesus, and he's coming in from the wilderness, and he's riding on a donkey. They are beginning to put the pieces together. And in John's account, they start to shout out, Hosanna. But in the Hebrew, it's more Hoshana. Say it with me, Hoshana. Okay, anytime you hear Hosanna, you correct the person who says that, all right? It's Hoshana, and it means save us. 
save us. They're shouting, save us. They see Jesus. Here he comes. He's coming in from the wilderness. He's riding on the donkey. This man who who does amazing signs and wonders and claims to have this intimate relationship with, with God. And now they're calling out to him, save us. They say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. This is a messianic title that they they are giving him. They are recognizing, they are realizing that he is the one. They see him as the Messiah, the one that's going to free them, the one that's going to free them from oppression, the one that will ultimately save them. They're yelling out, save us. Save us. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Save us. But they just don't have the right idea. The fact, they are completely wrong in what Jesus is doing and how they will be saved. You see, they, they, they believe that he's a political leader. They believe the Messiah is a military leader. And now a military leader or a political leader, he would ride into town like, like on a war horse, all just, you know, decked out with war horse stuff. I don't know, candy apple red, twice pipes, clean, you know what I mean? And, and so, or, or he would, young people are just like, huh? And, and, and so, and um, where was I? Okay, or, or he would be walking in front of his troops, leading this, this grand procession into town. This is the way the Caesars would come in and, and pomp and circumstance to make a name known for them. But here, Jesus will enter in in a very different way, not in the way of a military leader, not in the way of a political leader, but he will ride on a donkey. And a donkey kind of represented, yes, wealth, but it was, it was, it was attributed to a man of peace. A priest would ride a donkey, or, or a wealthy merchant that's coming in to do business would ride a donkey. Not, not a political leader, not a military leader. And so this action by Jesus is showing that this is about peace, it's about war, it's about takeover, it's not about a coup. What it says in Zechariah 10. I will take away the chariots from Ephraim and the war horses from Jerusalem and the battle bow will be broken. He will proclaim peace to the nations. God never intended for the Messiah to be what the Jewish people thought the Messiah was going to be. Jesus is fulfilling the very words of God, and he's coming as a man of peace, but he will still deliver them from oppression. He will still save the people. Just just not the way that they have in mind. And even the disciples, even the disciples really don't quite understand this. They're not going to see the whole picture until Jesus is glorified, and the Spirit comes upon them and, and just brings all of this to realization to them. And the religious leaders, it's, it's interesting that, that they're witnessing this whole thing, right? They're watching all these people just like go out to Jesus. And they're worried, like the Jews are starting to follow Jesus. In fact, they want to kill Lazarus because Jews are starting to follow Jesus. But they make a very interesting statement. They make a very prophetic statement. And they, they don't even know they've made it. They say this, look how the world has gone after him. Look how, which is a complete exaggeration at this point, it's the Jews that are going after him, but they say, look at how the world has gone after him. Jesus, this man of peace, is beginning to conquer the world. There were some Greeks among those who went up to worship at the festival. They came to Philip. 
who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, with a request. Sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus. Philip went to tell Andrew. Andrew and Philip in turn told Jesus. And Jesus replied, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Now, this is a very weird part of the story. It's weird for a couple of reasons. First of all, it's weird because Greeks are mentioned at all in what's happening in Jerusalem. Okay. Second of all, there's no other place in the Bible where this part of the story is mentioned. None of the other evangelists talk about this part of the story, that Greeks have come to see Jesus. And, and the third thing is they come to Philip and they ask him, listen, we, we want to see Jesus. And then nothing. We don't, we don't hear about them again. We don't see any type of response that Jesus would make. And they just, kind of, they just kind of disappear from the story. But when Jesus gets wind of it, when Jesus finds out that these people are looking for him, he sees it as the beginning of the beginning of the beginning. This is, this is a big deal because in John's, in John's mind, the world, the Gentiles, the Greeks, the world is now searching for Jesus. Look at how the whole world is going after him. Now, it's, in, it's, it's also interesting that they call these people Greeks because, because they're, not, they're not Jewish. These are people that probably, Judaism attracts them for some reason. Maybe it's the monotheistic focus. Maybe it's the morality that the Jewish people have, but they are very interested in Judaism, but they have not taken the one step it would take for them to become converts, circumcision. They have decided not to go that route and I can't say as I blame them at this point, but, but so they are not fully Jewish, but they are still very interested in this person of Jesus. And so the boys go up to Jesus and say, hey man, listen, there's, there's Greeks, there's Gentiles, they're looking for you. And again, maybe this is what John's way of, of calling attention that the world is finally waking up and looking for Jesus. But Jesus just seems to to shrug it off. He doesn't, he, I don't know if he ignores it. I don't know if there's something that he said and it's not recorded, but it's, it's I mean, there, it's got to be some significance to them being there, but it, it would seem that it's not all that important to John. And Jesus will tell them this. The hour has come. The Son of Man will be glorified. The hour has come. It's here to stay. It's not going anywhere. We can't go back from this point. This is what we have come for, this very moment. And it's not going to be a tragedy. This is is triumph. The Son of Man will be glorified. Jesus wins. The people that have heard him make this statement, the people that are, that are hearing this, that, that this, this Messiah, the man that they've hailed, the one, the man that they've, they've put the title of Messiah on, he has just told us that he is going to be glorified. There would be a collective, there'd be butterflies in people's stomachs. They, they would be very excited because they are missing the point and what they see this as finally Finally, the Messiah will restore Israel to its prominent place in the world. Finally, all of the nations, all of the kingdoms will bow down at front, in front of the Messiah, the conqueror. Man, and this is, this is what they've been waiting for. But Jesus, he has a whole other idea of what glory means for him. For Jesus, it means that he's going to be killed. Jesus, it means that he goes into the cross and he's going to give everything. Very truly, 
I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Those who love their life will lose it, while those who hate their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant also will be. My Father will honor the one who serves me. The way of glory for Jesus Christ is death itself, and only in his death will finally the purposes and the plan of God come to consummation. Jesus will have to suffer at the hands of sinners, at the hands of people who refuse to believe in him. And he will go to the cross, beaten and bloodied, and there he will give his life for each person in the world, for us all. So that in the end, his teachings, his words, his life can be multiplied among the nations. We see this in Acts chapter 7 with Stephen, right? He gives this amazing sermon, and then they throw rocks at him till he's dead. And in that story it says, and a great persecution came upon the church that day, and they were scattered. But wherever they went, they would preach the gospel that in Stephen's death, Jesus Christ was multiplied once again. And when a kernel of wheat needs to fall and die, Jesus is proclaiming his his own death. And then he continues on, and he's not talking about just his death, but he's talking about kind of the death for all of the people that will eventually follow him. Again, this is not a really good recruitment tactic here. He said, those that will love their lives, you're going to lose your life. And a, and, a, and a different translation could be that those who love their life, you will destroy your life. And it's, it's saying that people who put the things of this world first, people that, that put the, the worldly things, they make that the most important. If you're concerned with all of the stuff here, eventually you will destroy your life. It's a self defeating process. But those who hate life, and not like hate life, not like goth hate life, you know, black fingernails, black lipstick, pants on the ground type, not like that, but just people who just, who just put the things of God first, the priorities of God first, those people, they will keep their life and they will keep it to, to eternal life. We have to serve Jesus. We have to follow him, to hate life. We have to die. Man, it's, it's, it sounds a little difficult, doesn't it? I mean, this, the, the, Jesus' teaching here is, is, just, is just a little bit hard. And, you know, I, I, I really, I, I believe with all my heart that Jesus knows that following him is not easy. Jesus knows that following him, serving him, is going to be risky business. You will risk your security. You will risk your safety. You will risk your comfort. You will risk your name. All to follow him, but in the end, your reward will be great and it will be a reward that this world cannot even come close to giving you. In fact, the world cannot reward you in the way that Jesus Christ will reward you for following him. But, but to follow him, it's going to put you into situations in life that are gonna cause you to make really hard choices. And you will have a choice to make. You'll have a choice to follow Jesus and what he would call you to, or you will have a choice to, to not follow Jesus and, and join the rest of the world. It will take you to places where 
where it would seem that evil is alive and well, and people could be mean and intolerant and vicious. And sometimes that's even in the church. But this is what following Jesus is about. I mean, real physical danger. Matthew chapter 10, Jesus tells his disciples, I am sending you out like like sheep among wolves. You know what he's saying? I am sending you out into the world to do my bidding and and you're going to be in a lot of danger. In fact, there's going to be people there that want to kill you, that want to devour, devour you. And some of you, you will not stand a chance and you're going to die. I mean, in that one little statement, do you hear? Wolves eat sheep. Sheep have no natural defense mechanism. They're dumb. And all they can do is run and not very fast. Jesus is telling them, have at it. It's not going to be easy. I'm a believer, and, and and I completely understand that following Christ has never, it's, I, I never market it, if that's the right word, something that's easy. Man, it's, it's hard to follow Jesus. It's, it's hard to live in the rhythms that God has called us to live to. And, and, and I get that. And, and I'm not naive to that at all. Not at all. And I think especially for our younger generation, it's even harder because there's so much pulling and pushing and, and vying for their attention. But the things that we consider hard, they make me laugh. Like, like living, living sacrificially. Okay, it means, it means I have to give up my time. I have to give up my resources. And, you know, I know I should serve other people. And, you know, we have this thing at church called Outside the Walls where, where once a quarter we go out as a church and we try to serve. But, you know what, like giving up one Saturday a quarter, man, that's, that's hard. I mean, I have, you know, the kids got sports, I have work, I got projects around the house to do. You know, I need some downtime. And there's something, there's always, I mean, really, use up one of my Saturdays. What are you thinking? That's, that's kind of that's difficult for me. And this whole going to church every week, okay, you know, every other week, okay, maybe, once in a while going to church, I mean, and not just going to church so you can check off the box that you went to church, but going to church so you can be in the context of community, that people can get to know you, and so that you can get to know people. I mean, that's scary, and that's hard, because what if, what if you don't like some of those people? Or, or worse yet, what if, what if they don't like you? I mean, that's, that's something difficult to contend with in life. I don't like rejection. I mean, I don't mind rejecting people, but I don't like to be rejected myself. I mean, that hurts, right? And so, church every week, really? I only get two days off. And there's, you know, there's a lot of other things to do on a Sunday morning. I mean, look at the, it's a beautiful day out. I should be, there's a race in New Hampshire right now, a NASCAR race. Hello? <laughs> and so going to church is, is it's, it's hard, right? It, it, it's difficult. And, and do you really expect me to read the Bible? I mean, really? I mean, I hate reading. Reading puts me to sleep. I don't understand most of it, what I read anyway. And, I, and I'm, sure, I'm sure that God, he would understand. So, you know, I, I pick it up once in a while, and I try to read, a, you know, a little bit, but it's, it's difficult. Like, I mean, I can't do it every day. I mean, I know that it's time to read the Bible when I can write my name in the dust on top of it. Then I know I need to pick it up. And, and God's good with that, right? And, and listen, do not... Do not expect me to get into some small group and study and discuss the Bible the way it was meant to be learned. 
I mean, it's bad enough that, that I, have to read the, I have to live the little that I read anyway. And so I get it. It's, 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 it's difficult to follow Jesus, right? I mean, these are the things that we all wrestle with in prayer. <sighs> Come on, for real? Prayer, that thing that obviously doesn't work because it would seem like I pray and I pray and I pray and God messes up my order every time. I ask for a quarter pound with cheese, I get a Big Mac with no cheese. I ask for fries, I get onion rings. Don't we, isn't that the way we pray? And God just doesn't seem to hear me. He doesn't seem to get it right. So why bother pray at all? I mean, it takes time. It takes effort. Prayer is probably the single most hardest thing that we as Christians think that we have to do. But it's probably the most important thing that we can ever do. But it's, it's, it's difficult. And oh yeah, that once a month prayer thing he's got at the church, please. Obviously, again, he doesn't know my schedule. And he wants me to waste an hour during the week doing something that doesn't work? Come on, really? Now listen, I'm not trying to guilt anyone, okay? I'm instilling shame, and it's something much, much different, all right? So, so, so I, I, I'm, not, I'm not trying to make anyone, anyone guilty. But, but I get that following Jesus is difficult. But the things that we think are difficult, it's a joke. It's, it's, it's comical. I mean, really? Those things are hard? There's, there's this passage in 2 Corinthians we're going to look at it. We've looked at it in the past. What it means to follow Christ. Check this out. This is Paul. Are these servants of Christ? I am out of my mind to talk like this. I am more. I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, been exposed to death again and again. Okay, anybody been in prison for the gospel? Beaten? Exposed to death? Okay, just checking. Um, Five times I received from the Jews 40 lashes minus one. That's considerate. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. Anybody ever shipwrecked for the gospel? No. Wow. Okay, let's continue on. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers in danger from bandits, in danger from my own people, in danger from the Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from the false believers. I'm thinking about he's covered everything possible. Okay, let's continue. I have labored and toiled and often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food, and I have been cold and naked. Anybody have to get naked because of the gospel? I'm praising God for that right now. Anyway, so uh, besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. I understand that following Jesus, following Jesus, it's, it's difficult. But you know, most people are more disciplined at their jobs than they are at their faith. Most people are more disciplined in what time they go to bed at night than are they are in the things of the faith. You know, what if, what if Paul loved his life more than he loved Christ? This, this, this would never, we wouldn't even know who Paul was. He'd be Dave or Fred, somebody else. 
Paul would not have answered the call that Jesus had called him to, to go and to move and to live in places that brought him danger in difficult places. You know, I, I think that the criteria that we have established for God's will in the church today falls miserably, miserably short. What if the criteria for following Jesus, for, for, the, for doing the will of God, would bring us into, into the most inconvenient, embarrassing uncomfortable, dangerous, outside-of-the-box, tough places? What if that was the will of God for us? And not, I have to read my Bible again. Prayer again? Didn't we do that last month? You see, are you tracking with me? Are you seeing what, like, Jesus said, man, you want to love your life? You're going to lose it. But you hate your life. Keep it for eternal life. Following Jesus is going to take you into places and put you into situations that the world is going to look at and say, what are you doing? Are you crazy? Why would you go there? Why would you do that? Why would you say that? Isn't it easier just to keep your mouth shut and go with the flow? There's a story in Mark chapter 10, which it's just, this, it's just this little passing text, I think, but it, it carries so much weight. Check this out. Oh, did I not do it? I didn't put it in there. I am saddened by this, but I have a Bible and I can go there. Mark chapter 10. Verse 32. Mark 10, 32, it says this. They were on their way up to Jerusalem with Jesus leading the way. And the disciples were astonished while those who followed were afraid. I mean, I know that's just, it's not even written in red, man. But, but, I, but there's so much weight to that, that one, little, one little text, one little verse. Following Jesus, the disciples are astonished. And the people that are going with them, so they're afraid. I mean, does, does it sound, what does that say about following Jesus? Is it comfortable? Is it easy? Is it boring? Is it dull? Is it safe? I wouldn't think so. The disciples are astonished, and the people that are with him are afraid. Jesus is making them just a little bit nervous. All right, here's my challenge to you. If you claim to be following Jesus Christ, and you very rarely are ever astonished at the things that he is doing in your life and around you, or if you claim to be following Jesus Christ and you are, ever, you are very rarely ever nervous, scared, or afraid at the things that he is calling you to do, the things that he is speaking into your life, the decisions he is asking you to make, if you are very rarely ever in those positions, I'm going to argue that you may not be following Jesus Christ at all. Because to follow Christ, he's going to lead you into places that you naturally would not want to be in. To follow Jesus Christ, he's going to lead you into, into decisions that just do not make sense. He's going to ask you to give things up that you just want to hold on to. He's going to ask you to do things that, that are going to cause you to walk out of rhythm with the rest of the world, but ultimately in rhythm with God. 
See, I understand. Following Jesus is hard. I get it. But the things that we have made hard, it's it's comical. And it's not just, it's not just, it's 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 Christianity as a whole. Are we committed to losing our life so that we can keep it eternally? Are we committed just to to throw those things aside that that just pull and push and, and take our focus off of him? Those who love their life will lose it. Those who hate their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves Jesus must follow him. And where he is, his servant also will be. His father will honor the one who serves him. Let's pray. God, I want to thank you for your word again. And just, it's, it's, these are hard words, God. And you know what? It makes me uncomfortable as I look at my own life. But God, I, I, I understand grace and I understand that, that you understand us and our imperfection and our brokenness. But God, I pray that we would not use that as an excuse not to follow you with everything that we have. Lord, I pray that we would stop making excuses. I pray that we would that you would strengthen our heart, strengthen our resolve, and strengthen our flesh. Your word tells us that our spirit is willing, but our flesh is weak. God, strengthen this, this, this tent, this body that you give us, that we can stand firm in the world and proclaim your name, that we would not fear going into those hard, difficult places. And then as warriors trained for battle, we, we would take the spirit with us, God, I want to thank you for all that you do for us, for your your love for us, even when we don't deserve it. Pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.